All right, we will be moving back now into our discussion about heaven, what it is like, and where is it. And we are in part two and part three. Uh, Part three, technically, because we're at the section where it says, who is in heaven right now? And we were just beginning the discussion about who is in heaven and who resides there. And as a brief reminder, we're going to go ahead and pray uh, this morning as well, too. But as a reminder that this discussion, this uh, this, uh, Sunday school class specifically is a way for you to engage other people about the Lord with the conversations that you might have. Uh, Heaven is a very interesting topic in the minds of a lot of people, whether they know the Lord or don't know the Lord. Um, And I I have another thing just came to mind. But let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just thank you and give you praise for who you are. We thank you for how you hear our prayers. You are sensitive to what our needs are. You're sensitive to what our desire is. But Lord, we want to be sensitive to what your will is as well, too. We want to pray with the mind of Christ. And we thank you for hearing us. We thank you for healing. We thank you for greater understanding and wisdom and knowledge through the Spirit. Bless this group, and we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephen Hawking was a very famous physicist who passed away Earlier this week? Last week? Yeah, a week. It's been within a week. And Stephen Hawking was a, um, an atheist. Just to summarize his way of thinking, he did not believe, uh, and he had said this publicly, um, as well as maybe even written it, he did not believe that there was anything, such thing as an afterlife. He did not believe that there was any such thing as uh, existing once the brain dies and you die, then that means you would cease to exist. That's what he firmly believed, and he believed that, I believe, up until the day he died. I don't think there's anything to change from that. I don't know that he had a deathbed conversion. That would have been a tall order. Only the Lord could do that. With God, all things are possible. But having said that, he did not believe in the afterlife. Well, he is the exception to many. Many do people do believe in an afterlife. And many people do believe that an afterlife exists. They don't really know what that means. They don't know what it is. And we only know what we know because of what Scripture tells us. So on that standpoint, we have a level playing field when we're having conversations with people about Jesus Christ and what that represents. This discussion that we're having, it helps to give us information to have a conversation with people in our efforts to disciple them about what the expectations are when you do die. You know, Stephen Hawking's expectation was that you would cease to exist. Well, I think Stephen Hawking is, has a, another realization now as to what really happens when you die because he is experiencing something that... Um, There is an afterlife. Um, Scripture reports it. Scripture notes it. Uh, Scripture acknowledges it. Jesus Christ's promises reinforce that. You don't just cease to exist. So let's look at this a little bit further. Who's in heaven right now? We're on page one of the handout that says part two and part three. 
And if you need a copy of it, please let me know. I've got extra copies here. And uh, I think, yes. Um, he's going he's gonna, to, yeah. Okay. So, the question's not difficult to answer. God is in heaven because heaven is his dwelling place. We talked about that. He has already proclaimed that. The Lord Jesus has been in heaven ever since he ascended from the earth shortly after his resurrection. And we read the passage in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, that talk about how Jesus' dwelling place is in heaven. The Bible tells us that angels are in heaven. In fact, there are myriads of angels, uncountable numbers of heavenly beings, all of them serving the Lord in numerous ways. And may I point out, those angels were all created by God. They are all his creation. So, we talk about the uncreated creator and what he has done and how he has put forth the angels. And even the angels wonder about who we are because we are human beings. We're different. And the saints of God who died on this earth are in heaven. Note, I mean this, this is the author of this text. I mean this by this, that heaven includes the Old Testament saints who by faith trusted in God's word and look forward to God's redemption at Calvary which they did not fully understand. It also includes every true believer from every continent and every denomination. Everyone who has genuinely trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior will be there. I also think that children who died before the age of accountability go to heaven, and I would also include those born with such mental limitations that they cannot understand the gospel. Now, that's, that huge section there is in brackets, and... That is more speculative, but not out of line. It still falls in line with reasoning and looking at God, his character, his grace, his love for us, that those things can be mentioned without, oh, the horror. You know, we're, we're looking at something that looks, it's sound reasoning. Because I'm sure you think about, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, you, Jesus was not there for them. But they were told about this Jesus. They knew about this Jesus. They did not recognize that. Well, does that mean they're in a different place? No, it doesn't mean they're in a different place at all. If Jesus, when he was uh, on the mountaintop and he's having a conversation with Abraham and Isaac... And they were doing this thing, you know, with the, uh, the transfiguration that was taking place. Where did they come from? Well, they had to come from somewhere. They came from heaven. They had to come from where they were residing. And the note, note that they, were, they had souls. They had spirits. They were in the form of, of human beings on this transfiguration that was taking place. But yet there they were. And they were having a conversation. We don't know what that conversation was because it was not mentioned. But we know they were having a conversation. Okay. So he goes on and talks about the children who don't understand the Lord. That the, the, Maybe the children, hey, maybe all the children who were aborted. Uh, all the kids that had lives and that never made it. You know, you would like to believe that those kids are with, those souls are with the Lord in heaven. And also, he also goes on and mentions about those who um, have the mental limitations um, the age of accountability is an issue, too. So those kids who uh, perhaps died as SIDS, those kids that died as infants, the souls are in heaven as well, too. 
Okay. Actually, the book, um, what is the name of that book? It's the book with um, the kid. And I, and, and, uh, heaven, no, is it Heaven is Real? The little boy that, uh, he, he had a death experience and he came back. I can't think of the name of the book, but he actually writes about that in the text as well, too. Um, uh, he never saw his sister. I think he saw his sister um, who had not been born, uh, who had a soul in heaven. You guys know what book I'm talking about, don't you? I can't think of the name of the book right now. It saved my life. Heaven is Real. Okay. I just listen to my wife and just be quiet for a minute. I might get it right, right? Uh, heaven is Real. So when you read a few books after a while, all the titles just disappear. All right. So, um, but, but, but that was a fascinating book to read, I'll be honest with you, just to, to read the text. Um, and a lot of people didn't really like it. Some people didn't like it, probably because it was just probably too much for them to take, uh, um, just to read that. And I, and I think that's true in most cases. You know, when you, when you read something like that, it's like, well, that can't be. It's like, well, why can't it? You know, if, if, you, if you're saying it can't be because you can't, you know, visualize it, you can't see it happening, that's fine. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen. So, but I thought it was a fascinating text to read, and, and it was worth noting. Okay, so the Bible teaches us that the moment we die, we go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the passages that, take, uh, that, that say this as well, too, because we need to make sure. There's this thing that's going around called soul sleep. Have you guys heard that? I don't know if there's a, there's a recent conversations about that. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I saw it, and I looked at it, and I went away from it. Pardon me? Seventh-day Adventist-based? Okay. Is that where that? Okay. Gus, Gus is in the back, and he nodded to that effect. And so, but there's nothing scripturally that supports this soul sleep. One of the things that we have to understand is that people just start saying things to try to make sense of what they don't understand, to try to say that this is something that's viable or whatever it is. But if Scripture doesn't support it, then we need to debunk it. But let's look at what our Scriptures say. Uh, let me get to my, my Bible. I didn't open it. My apologies for not being ready. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And this is something that we have seen before and we hear about it, starting in verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? We walk by faith, not by sight. A lot, everything that we do when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is rooted in faith and believing in the results before they happen. We walk by faith, not by sight. If we would walk by sight on everything that happens in our life, what do you think would happen? We would have a lot of problems. If faith is absent and we walk by sight, we've got a lot of problems. Let me share something with you. A lot of non-believers have this as an issue. Everything that they've experienced in their lives that may have been a deterrent for them to even go to church. They're walking by sight. They're walking by their own understanding. So there's a lot to deal with. 
But we know that Jesus is the one that can overcome all of that through the power of the Holy Spirit. They walk by sight. But we walk by faith. Now look at verse 8. In fact, we are confident. Now, that word confident requires what? Faith. And believing that it's true. We are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And I'll just read verse 9. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Words to note. Do you have a desire to be closer and closer with the Lord Jesus Christ? But even now, thinking that, boy, it would be a really good thing if you were with him right now. And I think that's a progression of faith. Because being in the flesh, we have the desire to be here and live, of course. But as you come to understand more and more about what Jesus Christ has done for you, and the glory and grace he's extended to you, and the promises he's making for you, you also know that being with him is a good thing. A very good thing. But you have to learn that in your ongoing growth and relationship with him. You know, it's funny when, when, when people who are very old and they're in bed and all they really know and experience is just this being in bed and they're very tired and they say, I'm tired. And they're ready to go. A lot of them who know the Lord are ready to go right then. They're ready to say, I'm, I'm out of here. Because they know there's a better thing. And I think that that's something that each of us individually will experience or have to experience on our own to see where that really, when that really happens, when that occurs. But that's something that we also learn over time. This is not something that you learn right out the gate. You know what I mean? When you became a believer, you don't learn this right out of the gate. You have to learn more about Christ as you go along and progress to that point. And you have the desire to say, you know what? It's, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what's being said here. But guess what? That's after a long relationship, a long progression of faith, a long amount of understanding, a great amount of understanding taking place. Okay. Another verse to look at is Philippians chapter 1. Anybody have any questions about that, by the way? You can tell me if I'm all wet. I'm just giving you my perspective. I'm all wet. All right. I took a shower this morning and I did dry off. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to just let y'all just say stuff, that's all. Let's start with verse 18. I'm going to read all the, the, the verses listed are verses 21 through 23. Let's just start with 18. And you know, just as a, as a brief thought, this is, my brain is working overtime today, so I apologize. But in the midst of all the things that we've been praying for, you know, we talked about praying for Ryan, praying for Phyllis, praying for... You know, they are, they are struggling. They're, 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 the Lord is caring for them and keeping them where they are. But it tells you how fragile we are 
It reminds you of how fragile we are and how important it is for us to, while we have the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus Christ and talk about heaven, talk about all kinds of things like this, that we get it done and, and really make sure that we're having these conversations with people about it. While they're able to understand them, you know, we are, we are blessed beyond measure to have been able to you know, witness to Lynn's dad before he died. It was days before he passed away when he decided that I'm not a, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a person. I know I've done a lot of things wrong in my life. Those were his words. Those were the words that he used, and he said it more than once. And I looked at Lynn, I said, it's time. It's time to have that conversation and pray with him about it and pray with him about Jesus Christ. You never know when you're going to get that chance. Be ready. Be ready to have that conversation with somebody. Verse 18 in Philippians 1. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Those are profound verses, just by themselves. Verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live in, on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Guess what? That's all of us. Now, keep in mind that Paul was writing this while he was in prison. He knew that he probably wasn't going to get out of prison. And he's writing to the Philippians because they had sent him a gift. They had thought about Paul while he was in prison. And they sent a member of the church to take him a gift. You know, the equivalent of taking him a gift, I don't know if it was food, I don't know if it was a food basket, I don't know what it was, but, you know, ultimately you can't do but so much in prison. But the church, the Philippian church, which, by the way, was the first European church, first church outside in Europe, thought about him enough to go and take him a gift in prison. So he's writing a letter back to them showing his appreciation. And he's thankful for them. He's thankful for who they are. And so he's writing to them saying, hey, I want you guys to live in this way. He knows he's not getting out of prison. He knows he's going to be there. He is living. He wants to live with courage and honor Christ, whether it's in life or in death. He knows he's probably going to die. And so did everybody else. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. That's us. We're here in the flesh for who? Others. You're here to minister to others. You're here to disciple others. You're here to encourage other people. It's not just so much for yourself. 
It's because you know there is work to be done in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. Discipleship is encouraging the brethren here, encouraging people who have been through an accident and praying for their recovery and praise the Lord. They come back and they're with us. But you're also remembering those people outside of the body. People that you know, they may be family members that don't know the Lord. And you're thinking of them and praying for them too. That's our responsibility. That's why you're here. You're here because you're supposed to be a light for Christ in a dark world. And that's what Paul is writing here. He wants to encourage everybody else. He wants people to pray. He mentions prayer in this passage. It doesn't matter whether people are out there proclaiming the name of Christ, doing so for good or for their own evil purposes. What he's saying is that Christ is being proclaimed. That's the most important thing. Because he mentions in the passage before this, he's saying, yeah, there are people out there who are there for their own benefit. They're talking about Jesus. They're doing it maybe for money. Gee, that's, that never happens around here anymore, does it? Doesn't really matter, though, does it? They have to account for their actions. Don't get me wrong. But if the name of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed, that's really all that matters. That's what it comes down to. So that's what the Bible teaches us. We go. And we've heard absent with the body, present with the Lord. We've heard those types of statements. Okay. I ha- Yes. Sure, you can throw a wrench in it. That's why this is Sunday school. Okay. 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 Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, my wife, and we're joined at the hip, by the way, everybody. You just you do know that, right? And this is, I, I got to tell you something. It's like... Yes. Yes, exactly right. Uh, go ahead, Ed. I'm going I'm to read something real quick. Okay. Well, um, my, my wife pulled up gotquestions.org. Now, I, I recommended this site over and over again because I, I think you just have to um, look at something like this for what it's worth. 
And the question is, what does the Bible say about soul sleep? So if you were to go to GodQuestions.org and you can look this up, and it actually will give you an answer. And it says, soul sleep is a belief that after a person dies, his or her soul sleeps until the resurrection and final judgment. This is, this is getting to what you're saying, um, uh, Faith. The concept of soul sleep is not biblical. Uh, that's what I said earlier. When the Bible describes a person sleeping in relation to death, and there are verses Luke 8.52. Let's turn to that real quick. Luke 8.52. And I'm going to ask someone who has Luke 8.52 to read it nice and loud so everybody can hear. It has been, I don't know how long, this has been talked about for a while. I, no, it's, this is, this, it's almost faddish. Can I, can I, yeah, it's almost a faddish thing because I hadn't really heard discussion about it until recently. Somebody brought it up and, you know, and social media will take stuff and put it out and regurgitate stuff all the time. Yeah, this is nothing brand new. No, but it comes and goes and it comes and goes is, is my point. Who has Luke 8.52? And all that in the world he is not dead but Okay. All right. That's what, we, that's what was mentioned before. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.6. 1 Corinthians 15.6. And for those of you who have iPads and Nook devices, electronic Nooks, you should be bookmarking gotquestions.org or using the app. After that, you will see of us five hundred brethren, and at once of whom the greater part remain until this present. But some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep. Okay. Now we now you have to now you're reading from the King James, aren't you? Okay. Well <laughs> of course. All right. All right, but that's fine. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Because Jesus had to come here, die, and come here uh, to forgive our sins, there was no real path directly to God at that time. So they probably might have been asleep because the soul had nowhere to go at that point in time. Well, let's—I'll tell you what. Let me read this and let's let's hold that question because I'm I'm not quite sure how to answer that right now. So let me look, let me read this. It does not mean literal sleep. See, the word sleep is what's happening here. People are associating with snoozing. Or, you know, when you, you, know, you, you have a sleep app that can, you know, tracks your sleeping at night. You're awake sometimes, you're not awake, you know. But let me, let me finish this. Um, sleeping is just a way to describe death because a dead body appears to be asleep. There you go. The moment we die, we face the judgment of God. Go to Hebrews 9.27. And remember something, everyone. What's the passage that we actually see where something happens when someone dies and they wind up immediately in torment? Was there, there was no gap of time from when that man died closing his eyes to when he awoke and he was in torment. I said... Uh, Hebrews 9.27, but the, the passages in Luke is what I'm referring to about the rich man and Lazarus. But 
you have to, you've got to go by what Scripture is saying here. Hebrews 9.27, who has that? And, okay, read it one more time, real quick. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment. There you go. That's, now, there's no time frame mentioned there, but we get real tricky here if we start inserting things. You see, let's continue. For believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. We don't need to read that. Philippians 1, 23, we just read it. For unbelievers, death means everlasting punishment in hell. Luke 16, 22 to 23. Go to Luke 16, 22 and 23. Now look at all these passages that we're showing and representing what really is taking place as best as we can understand. And Ronnie, I think this is partially answering your question because we need to understand that this thing about sleep is not really sleep. Yes. Okay. Jesus could not have been immediately Yes. That's a great point. Sleep. That's right. We mentioned and we keep it in our mind because we say it in this way. Mm-hmm. If I had my choice, the way that I would die, and I go to sleep, I just wouldn't wake up. Wake up, yeah. That's a great point. That's right. And we just think that we're sleeping. Yeah. Right on through. That's right. Go ahead, Ed. I'm going to let you jump in now. The one thing I was just going to bring up real quick is, um, in that one scripture where you said Jesus said she is asleep, um, Jesus said that she was asleep, not man. And man could never be equated to Jesus. There lies the problem. So when the Seventh-day Adventist says, well, Jesus said she was asleep, you're not Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God. When Jesus says something, it is what it is. When man says something, it cannot be verified. Because what man believes it is today, it very well may not be tomorrow. And there are many times when man will say, you know what? This person is going to die, and they don't. Or this person is going to live, and they don't. So for a man to say that there's such a thing as soul sleep because Jesus said it, you equate yourself to Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're not God. Which one is that? Who's saying it, though? Yeah, go ahead. from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are still alive will be caught up to meet them in the clouds of the air. So how do you... How do you... The word sleep right. consistently means dead. I mean, that's the, that's the interpretation. I think it might, we have a problem there, too. That would be the first bell. 
We're in the middle of a great discussion. What she's equating is death usually always refers to the wicked because death is a separation from God. Got it. Sleep, that we are asleep in Jesus. Okay. And here's what that is talking about. Although they are dead from our terminology because we, don't, we no longer see them. So we equate that as death when you have life no more. Scripture equates death as a separation from God. Okay. That's, that's a very... Had not thought about it that way, but that makes perfect sense. That's a great... So, asleep... Asleep in this terminology means asleep in the Lord, as in you're still dead as Christians, but you're still dead. It's just a different... You're not separated from God. That's a, that's a great point. Did anybody pull Luke 16, 22, 23? We kind of left off there. No, you got, don't be sorry. This is, this is good discussion. We may have to pick up next week with this. You said death is wicked? De- death death is, has to do with the wicked who are for, forever separated from the Lord. Because that's ultimately what death is without the Lord. You are, you're forever separated from him. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the rich man and Lazarus. That's the whole point of that conversation. The king, uh, the rich man was wicked, deemed as wicked, and he was forever separated. He could not, he could see heaven, but couldn't get to it. Remember, he was asking for Lazarus to come and give him some relief with a dipping of, of water in the tongue and putting it on the tongue. He was forever in torment. He was being judged immediately for his wickedness, and there was forever a separation from God. He could never have that. Luke 16, 22 and 23. Can I read over your shoulder? Or you, want to, you don't want to read? Okay. <laughs> she just gave it to me. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tongue, tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. And I'll let you guys read that on your own. That's, but that's showing after death an immediate, immediate judgment taking place. Until the final resurrection, though, there is a temporary heaven paradise and, there, and a temporary hell, Hades, as can be clearly seen in Luke 16, 19 through 31. That's the that's the thing that we need to make a distinction with here, too. There is a, a, a heaven paradise, because we know that that's where the thief on the cross was. Today you will be with me in paradise. Remember, today means today. If, if you die in the afternoon and, and you're in, in, in heaven with the Lord right then, it's right then. And so what, what, what Gus, I think, was referring to later on, there's going to be a permanent judgment later. That takes place. So we we don't have time. We almost have to stop here. Go ahead. Yeah, in paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. He said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." That's exactly right. See, that's how we know, just based upon you know how they have in courts the preponderance of the evidence where you, you, you look at different scriptures, you look at different passages, and based upon what you're reading, we can make a conclusion that when you die, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be in paradise. 
Yes.